0: Hear your word. Father, speak to us today. Holy Spirit, I'm just a vessel. I just desperately desire to be used by you. Father God, I decrease that your spirit might increase in me. I want nothing, Father God, but to see that your people, that we, Lord God, grow up in the things of God and become everything that you want us to be and that we achieve our destiny that you have laid out for us. And so, Father, take control. Right now, as we prepare to hear the spoken word of the Lord in Jesus name. Amen. Well, today I'm going to talk to you about the marks of the spiritually mature. This is more of a a message of discipleship, because one of the things that uh, I think you all have learned about me so far is I'm very, very practical. And I like information that will help me that, you know, after listening to a message, I not only want to be encouraged and, and, you know, feel good about it, but I also want to be able to take the word with me and make application in my life throughout the course of the week. And obviously reflected there in our vision statement, the Foundation Christian Fellowship, uh, our vision and mission is to train and equip the believer to be a mature disciple. Everybody say mature disciple. Now, that's very, very important as it relates to who we are. And so when we talk about uh, being spiritually mature, the question is, you know, how do I gauge my spiritual maturity? How do I know... If I am growing in the Lord, I mean, we talk about a lot of times we always say we talk about growing up and obviously that's the thrust of our ministry. We want to be a ministry that trains and equip you and help you to grow up in the things of God. But how do you how do you do that? I mean, how do you gauge whether or not I am really growing in the Lord? You see, it's not just if you come to church every Sunday, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're growing in the Lord. Uh, Or or that you give in the offering plate doesn't necessarily mean that you are growing in the Lord, although those things are good and they're a part of your spiritual growth and development. But we can't stop there. How do we know that God wants us to go a little bit deeper? Spiritual maturity has nothing to do with how old you are. You know, I grew up in a church, and my, I, I can remember some of my, my uh, relatives. I, I, I won't uh, call names or anything like that because you never know if they might get this CD or something. But I can remember how they used to say all the time, you know, I've been going to church for 20, 30, 40 years. You can't tell me anything. You can't tell me what to do because I've been doing this a lot longer than you. How many you know spiritual maturity has nothing to do with your age? You can be 50, 60, 70, and 80, and still be a baby in the faith has nothing to do with their age you can take a person that just got saved within the course of a year and because they're so aggressive and they're pressing into that thing that they'll grow leaps and bounds above somebody who have who have been walking with the lord for 30 40 and 50 years and so the goal of our ministry and really the goal it should be of every ministry because we're all a part of christ's kingdom is that we all grow and develop and mature and and that we have a gauge for that um how many of you make new year's resolutions Anybody ever make New Year's resolutions? No? Well, usually right around this time of year as we enter into the new year, you see people make these New Year's resolutions. And normally it has something to do with losing weight. And how many know that all of us, including myself, can stand to lose a couple of pounds? But let me ask you a question. Have you ever set some spiritual goals to determine where you are in God or where you're headed? You know, say, for example, if you're a person that have a problem with with anger, you know, how have you done over the course of the year with anger? How have you how have you dealt with those issues? I mean, if you have a problem with jealousy, how have you grown beyond jealousy? All these things. because How many you know when you come into the kingdom, we bring all the baggage with us? Right. We bring all the stuff. And just because somebody is saved and uh, they know the Lord doesn't does not mean that they're at a place in God where they're just going to, you know, that these things are just going to go away. There is a process. Everybody say process. There is a process to spiritual maturity, and it doesn't just happen overnight. And so as I was meditating uh, on this word, a couple things that, that spiritual maturity has to do with. And number one, it has to do with your attitude. How do you respond to life challenges and difficulties? How do you respond when situations don't go the way you would like them to go? How do you respond to everyday life and challenges? Spiritual maturity also has to do with your character. Who are you in God? How have God changed you? Because how many know that there should be a change, a metamorphosis, if you will, a change into the person of Christ. You often hear us quote, uh, we talk about being conformed to the image of Christ. And that is what is taking place. In other words, we're being changed. The person that we are, we're not the same person anymore. There's a change in us. And so what I've done is I've come up with some things, and we're going to go through these rather quickly. I've come up with some things, some uh, steps to help us to know, what it, uh, to know whether or not we're growing in the Lord and, to, and a barometer, if you will, so that we can assess and look back and say, okay, am I here? because some of us may think we're mature and we may find out we're not all that mature. You know, some of us may be a little immature and we might find out that we're a little bit more mature than we thought we were. Wherever you are on the scale, we're going to give you some information today that will help you ascertain your spiritual growth and maturity. And so as we go through these, I want you to kind of think in those terms. And I want you to be and listen, don't be looking to nobody else. One of the things that the Lord uses when I ever prepare a word, whenever I prepare a word, I always look at myself. Because a lot of times, sometimes we hear the words, sometimes we think it might apply to somebody else, and we'll look to the left, we'll look to the right, you know. And so today, this message is just for you. Look at your name and say, it's for you. Good. All right, spiritually mature people. Number one, they are people of unshakable faith. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter number four. Spiritually mature people are people of unshakable faith. Second Timothy chapter four, verse number six, and it reads, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul uh, had realized and he, it had been revealed to him by the spirit of God that his time was now coming for him to go back and be with the father. And so he is encouraging his young Timothy. Paul said that my life, I've been poured out like a drink offering. I've given my life and and all of my, my time to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse number seven, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I want to read that verse seven again. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept. The faith. Now, I'm not one that watch a lot of boxing. I know uh, Daryl is pretty big on, on boxing. And Kenny, I hear him talk about boxing all the time. But I will tell you that when I was a youngster, I used to love to watch Muhammad Ali. You know, back in those days, when they used to have, uh, you know, uh, Marvin Hagler and Joe Frazier and George Foreman and, and all these great boxers. And You know, that's when boxing was, was really different back in those days. And my father, he used to be a big Muhammad Ali fan. Because Muhammad Ali had this ability, you know, obviously he talked a lot of stuff about how he was going to do this and how he was going to do that. But one of the things that he could do, he could take a punch. And when those guys would be boxing and they would be fighting, I mean, they would be going toe to toe. They would be, I mean, those guys would go at it, man. And I heard Muhammad Ali say on a lot of occasions, man, whenever I fought George, uh, uh, George Frazier, uh, Joe Frazier, he said, whenever I fought him, it was the closest thing to death that I've ever experienced. But ultimately Muhammad Ali came out on top. Now how did he come out on top? Because he knew how to take a punch and it was hard. And Muhammad Ali will tell you today that it was very, very difficult and he's suffering from some of the repercussions of of those early days of fighting. But one of the things I love about a good fight and a good boxer is that they know how to take a punch. They know how to stand in there, man and take one, and sometimes they fall down on the floor, but then you will see a lot of times they're spring right back up. Let you know that's the way that we're supposed to be. People of unshakable faith. You talk about the Apostle Paul, a man who was beaten, a man who had uh, been often hungry, a man that was locked up in prison for sharing his faith. Paul went through all of this, and yet Paul was still able to say at the end, I have fought a good fight because he knew that there would be some challenges, that there would be some struggles, and there would be attacks on his faith. You see, everything that the enemy is doing, to you and every every obstacle that you're being confronted with, it is trying to pull you away or get you to give up on God. You see, and Paul had and Paul was a, a, a awesome example of a man who endured. He said, "Listen, I've fought the good fight." Now let me tell you, it was very hard. I mean, I took some blows. I mean, there were a couple times I was down, and they had to stand over me and give me a ten count. But I was able to get back up. And now, when I look back over my life, I can see that I fought a good fight, and I'm still standing up here today. See, that's the way Apostle Paul was, and that's really the way that we have to be. One of the ways that you know that you're growing in the Lord is that you have this unshakable faith. You ever been around people that have a lot of faith? It's it's like I love being around people that are so full of faith that no matter what life throws them, they always just seem to be encouraged in God. They always seem to be happy and enthused. No matter what they're going through, they hold on to their faith and they somehow believe that God is going to bring them through whatever it is that they are experiencing. Because the first thing we need to understand is that, yes, we are going to have times when our faith is going to be challenged. And some of you right now are dealing with your faith being challenged. Well, one of the things you got to do is like the Apostle Paul. You got to stand firm and you need to see the salvation of the Lord. Because let me tell you, the enemy is going to attack your faith and it is never going to stop. How many of you remember the story of the three Hebrew boys Uh, over in the book of Daniel? Uh, They were told that they were to bow down and worship some other God. And these men, they said, you know what? I don't care what you say, O king. We're not going to bow down and worship your God. Do what you want to do. Say what you want to say. We are not going to obey your... Listen, we're not going to bow down to your God. If God's going to deliver us, fine. If he don't, that's fine too. But guess what? We are still going through the fire. If we got to go through this fire, we'll go through it. Now, if you read that story, they end up going through the fire. But one of the things that, they had, rested, that had rested in their mind, that no matter what, that they were not going to lose their faith and their confidence in almighty God. And so you can ask yourself a question. Am I a person, you know, as I'm growing, do I maintain my faith in God? That's one of the ways that you know that you are maturing in God. And then number two, spiritually mature people are people that control their temper. People that control their temper. Proverbs twenty nine twenty two says, an angry man stares up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. There's also another scripture that says that the wrath of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And one of the things that we learn as we are growing in the Lord is we learn how to control our temper. Because if we're, if we're people that don't know how to control our temper, you know what will happened? We're going to fly off at every little thing, and then what is going to happen? We're going to end up saying things and hurting people around us. We're going to hurt people. We're going to say things, and really, when we're out of, we lose control of our temper. We are not being controlled by the Holy Spirit, and if we're not under the control of the Holy Spirit, then we're, then our flesh is leading and guiding us. And some of us we struggle with the issue of anger. And one of the ways that you know that you're growing in the Lord is you know how to deal with anger. You don't now it, there's a righteous indignation. I mean, you need to know that there's a righteous indignation whereby you can get upset. Uh, you can be uh, upset about certain things, but uh, but not cross the line and sin. There's a righteous anger. But what we're talking about here today is a person that just loses their control. They have absolutely no control and they lose it very, very quickly. A person that is spiritually mature, they don't respond that way. You see, a person that is growing up in the Lord and they, have, and they have trained themselves, and one of the things that I can say, and I'm not bragging or boasting about myself, but one of the things that I've learned to do over the years is I've trained my spirit and I've disciplined myself that you will never ever see me yell or scream or go have these outbursts of anger and be out of control. My wife will tell you, I just don't do that. You know, I can listen to other people because, and, and the reason why is because I've trained myself and I've disciplined myself to obey the word of the Lord. I've disciplined myself not to go in that direction. And whenever I sense that it's going to happen, I apply the principles of God. For an example, the Bible says in um, uh, Proverbs 15:1, a soft answer turns away wrath. So if you find yourself, if you ever find that you're about to, to go off the handle, you know, maybe try giving a soft word. Just, just giving a word, you know, a soft word like, you know, somebody says a sharp, something real sharp to you that upsets you and bothers you. Just look at them and just say, you know what? You did this and that to me, but you know what? I want you to know I really appreciate you. You see, that would deflate anger every single time. A soft answer turns away wrath. And let me tell you, that scripture works. Because I practice it, I mean, all the time. This is a practice that I have so that I can control, I can be in control of my spirit because I want to be used by God. How I many you want to be used by God? So if you want to be used by God, God can't use us when we're out of control. When we're so angry, we're trying to handle things in our flesh because the scripture says that the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. So then what I need to do is humble myself and then allow God to take over me. And that's what we talk about being submitted to God's spirit and God will help us to deal with that. And then we've talked a whole lot about this. But a person that is spiritually mature, they also are a forgiving people. Turn to Matthew chapter number 18. I'm getting just a little bit of feedback. I don't know if you can hear it. Just a little bit. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter number 18, much better. Glory to God. Now, we talk a lot about this, but one of the characteristics of a person that is really growing in the Lord is that they learn how to forgive people. You know, and I know I hear people sometimes say, well, you know, Gary, uh, you just don't know what brother and sister so-and-so did to me. You, you you, You don't have a clue. Uh, What this person did to me. I mean, if you had to experience what I had to experience, you wouldn't do that either. You wouldn't say that. You know, how many know that the word of God is the word of God? God doesn't make exceptions and say that, okay, you can forgive for certain things, but other things you cannot forgive. He says that we are to be a forgiven people. And people that are spiritually mature are people that learn to forgive other people for their wrongs that they do you. And one of the things I find about a person that is walking with the Lord and that is mature is that they know how to do that. Spiritually mature people, they don't go around holding grudges. They know how to deal with an issue right up front, and then they're able to walk away from it. They're able to let it go. They don't hold grudges. They don't walk around with a chip on their shoulder. They learn the principle of forgiveness because they understand that God has forgiven us of so much. How I many you know, if you don't know, you will know it this morning that you have offended God many of times. And yet God forgave us of every single sin that you and I have ever committed. Every one. He said every sin, past, present, future has been forgiven. God decided to do that. And so one of the things that we know is that people that are growing in the Lord is they practice forgiveness. It's, it's not a difficult task for them. Look at the uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse number 21. This is a uh, interesting story. A man who was forgiven, and we're going to see how he dealt with his, with with somebody else when, when, when he was requested to forgive. Verse 21, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall I, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. How many know that Peter was really looking for a way out? He wanted to forgive, but he wasn't trying to do, look, Peter was like a lot of us. I'll forgive you to what? A certain extent. So when Peter came to the Lord saying, Lord, Lord how many times? I mean, Peter was thinking, okay, Lord, I still want to hold this thing, and, you know, and I'm not going to forgive at any extent. And so Peter was trying to get out of it. And so he says, Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. ...who wished to settle accounts with his slave. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents were brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife, children, and all that he had. And repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, I will repay you everything. So this man, he needs mercy, he needs forgiveness... And verse twenty-seven, and the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him of the debt. But that same slave, the one who was forgiven, now look at—I want you to point to yourself and say, "I've been forgiven." That's me. Point to yourself. Come on, point to yourself. Say, "I've been forgiven." All right. That same slave went out, found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and he began to choke him, saying. Pay me back what you owe. Now, now this brother had forgotten what the Lord just did for him, right? Pay me back what you owe me. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Now, some folks have heard about this. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you of all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord and his lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if... Each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. And those are not the words of Gary. Those are the words of the Lord. And I don't know about you, one of the things that's so beautiful about our faith is that I've been, I know that I've been released of my sin. Isn't that good to know that God has released me, he has set me free, and now he is saying, Gary, I want you to go and do likewise. See, a person that says to me that I am growing and I am maturing, but yet they, don't, they can't forgive people, I would submit that that person still need to grow in that area. And they're not growing because the sin of unforgiveness, when we fail to forgive people, it blocks us, it hinders us, it stifles us from growing and becoming what God wants us to be and from where he wants us to be. And so spiritually mature people, they are people that practice forgiveness. Number four, people have people that are spiritually mature, they have a steady diet of the word of God. Turn to Psalm 1. In the Old Testament, Psalm 1, this is one of my favorite psalms. I was made to memorize this psalm, and uh, I absolutely love it. Psalm 1, people that are spiritually mature, they have a steady diet of the word. Now, obviously, also reflected there in our vision statement is to train and equip the believer to be a mature disciple who love the word of God. Why do we say who loved the word of God? Because I know that if you love the word of God, if you really love it, you'll obey it and you'll apply, you'll apply the principles and thereby you will walk in the thing that God has taught, called you to do. And so a person that is spiritually mature is a person that loves the word of God. They love to hear it. They absolutely delight in it. Look at Psalm 1, verse number 1. How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight. Now, delight means, that word delight means extreme satisfaction. His great pleasure is the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates day and day. Night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of the water, which yields its fruit in its season. And so a person that that is growing in God, one of the things you will find is that you will have this increased desire from the word of God. I don't know about you, but I love to hear a good word that's being preached. How many of you love that? I love sometimes when I'm reading the word of God that I can find some hidden treasure. You ever been reading the word and all of a sudden the the scripture just jump out at you and, and God just give you a rhema word and you get really, really excited about that? How many of you have had that experience? Nobody have had that experience? Oh, glory. Oh, we got some growing to do. Hallelujah. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. But one of the things that, that when, you, when you discover that you're growing, you just begin to have this insatiable desire for the word of God. I mean, you love to hear it. You love when people talk about it. I used to know this at an old church I used to be a part of, this one minister. This man, all he ever talked about was the word of God. You could not have a two-minute conversation. He was all, he would be, Kenny, you know what I'm talking about. He just preached to you. He couldn't talk to you. Every time he opened his mouth, he was always preaching the word. He said, man, he said to me one time, he said, pass. He said, Gary, I want to be, be so deep in this thing that if they cut me, I want to bleed word. <laughs> this brother, he absolutely just emphatically just loved the word of God. His enthusiasm was, is just so apparent. And, if I, and this was years ago, but, and I still see him today. And You know what he's still doing? Always talking about the word of God. Let me tell you something. When you get to that place that you know you're growing, man, when you just love the word. I mean, it's not a chore. You know, it's not, it's not a label like, oh, gosh, I got to read this word. You know, you can get tired sometimes in the word, but how many know you never get tired of the word if you're spiritually growing? You don't get tired of the word because you understand that the word is life. The word, this, this is the, these are the very words from the throne of God. These are, this is God's word, his message to us. And so one of the ways we know we're developing and we're growing in our faith is, man, you know what? I just love the word. Whether you like to hear it on tape, I told you, if you don't like to read as much, then get it on tape. But I like how he says here that he, this man, he delights in the Lord. And the law of the Lord, his word, and he meditates in it day and night. Well, Pastor, why are you always talking about reading the word every day? You know, I hear people say that. Well, I don't have to read the word every day. You ever heard that? You know, they just, you know, they just completely missing. I hear people say that to me. I don't have to read the word. No, you don't have to read the word every day. You just, just stay where you are. Be stagnant. Because let me tell you something. I've been reading this word now consistently for about 17 years. And it is if, a lot of times when I'm reading it, it is if I just open it up. And I'm reading the same passages. And it's always speaking new life and giving me new revelation and new insight. And you can't exhaust the insight and the revelation of God. You can read a scripture, the same scripture for, for 10 times, and every time you're going to get a different revelation from it. Because it's God's breathe. Word. It is living. This is the living word of God. You remember in Joshua, God told Joshua, he said, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. Joshua, Moses just died. Joshua now has to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. God knew that Joshua was a little bit afraid and concerned. And God kept telling him, he said, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. He said, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be uh, scared because you're going to deliver these people. You're going to take these people to the promised land. But but Joshua, now, I'm going to give you your key to success. That is, here's what I want you to do, Joshua. I want you to meditate on this word day and night. I don't want this word to depart from your mouth. And if you meditate on it day and night, you will have good success. That's what the Lord told Joshua. Day and night. See, daily reading of the scripture, it helps refine your mind. It helps refine your character. Kind of like what we talked about last week, that renewing of the mind. You begin to see things differently. You begin to, your mind begins to shift and change. And the more you read, the more you want. And sometimes, yes, sometimes we have to dig into it because it don't come easy. For some of us, we struggle. Can I be real? Can we be real? We look at it sometimes, it's like, whoa, my goodness, what are they talking about? Well, you know, we have so many different things available to us that will help us with understanding God's word so many things. And that's why, you know, we have these Bible studies. Every time we have a Bible study or an opportunity, there are people here that are mature enough, if there are some passage of Scripture you can't quite understand, who have been walking in this thing for a while, who can help you. And that's why we have things like life group and, and prayer time, and all the Bible study and preaching and teaching. Why are we doing that? Because it's going to help you to understand the Word of God. Because somebody had to come alongside of me and help me. When I first started, there are a lot of things I didn't understand, but I had that insatiable desire. You know what I would do? I would run and say, Dana, can you please explain this to me? Because I, I don't really understand this, and I want to get it. I sense that God is saying something, but I can't quite get it. Can you please help me understand what does that mean? My wife will oftentimes, she'll do that to me all the time. I mean, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. My wife would just barge right in. You know, I could be in some serious prayer time. My wife would come in. Gary, I got to ask you a question. What does this scripture mean? Like, baby, hold on. Not right now. Wait till I finish praying. <laughs> But she's just so enthused because she's sitting there and she's reading because once she gets the revelation, she knows when she gets it that she got something. There's a deposit into her spirit that is going to bring forth the fruit, the fruit of godliness, and it's going to help her achieve her destiny and her purpose and her calling because now she will begin to understand that word. And when she begin to get revelation and insight and understanding of that word, what's going to happen is you're going to desire more of it. You're going to understand it better and you're going to be able to walk it out and live it out. And then when you begin to see this word becoming flesh in you, I mean, when this word is living out in your flesh, it will become quite evident not only to you, but to other people. Now you're at a place where God can really use you because you are absorbed with the word of God. Amen. And then a spiritually mature person is a person that is preoccupied with the kingdom. A spiritually mature person is a person that is preoccupied with the kingdom. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added unto you. I can recall that when I was a part of Morningstar Ministries before I moved to Stafford, one of the things I've never seen before, and I, I've heard about it, uh, but I've never been around it. And they have this, a very, very large organization, a whole lot of churches that are connected with Morningstar. And one of the things that used to baffle me was that how I would see these folks buy brand new houses. And they've been in, they'll be in these houses for like five or six months, got their kids in school. Everything is going great, right? You're thinking, man, I'm going to be settled here for a while. And all of a sudden, one of the pastors would come and say, well, you know what? We need need somebody to go down to uh, the church down in North Carolina because they're having some problems over there. So we need you to to take up and leave and sell your house and go. And I was amazed that it happened all the time. It was like a normal thing that those pastors and those leaders, they held everything loosely. You know why? Because their priority was the kingdom. And so their thinking was, whenever God called me, I'm going. Wherever God wants me to go, I'm going. And I, and I used to sit back and look at that and, like, wow. Because how I many you know a, a lot of people will not do that? A lot of people look at it, well, you know, I got my house, I'm here, I'm chilling, I like my job, you know, I like this area, I'm not going anywhere. It's sunny, it's 80 degrees every day here, I'm not moving. I we mean, know that's not a great attitude to have? Because if you get locked into that attitude, then you're not prioritizing the kingdom. So now when God comes and speaks to you and say, here's what I want you to do, you block that off. You know why? Because your mindset is, I'm here. I'm fixed. I'm not going anywhere. And, I, you know, we, none of us really know what's going to happen another five or ten years from here. We don't know. But what we do know is that when we prioritize the kingdom of God, When you and I make the kingdom number one, God will see to it that we will be blessed and that every need will be met. And you know what, even the greater thing, that you're going to find true happiness. I love being around people that are kingdom minded. That no matter if you talk to them, somehow, some way, the conversation always come back to the kingdom. See, people that are growing and people that are mature, their emphasis is the kingdom. So they structure their finances and they structure everything around the kingdom. Not what they want in life, not their own appetites, but they structure everything and they make every, every decision based on the kingdom of God and where God has them. They will never make a move if they don't sense that that is what God is saying because they have prioritized the kingdom. And so it's all that they live for. Doesn't mean that they don't have fun. Doesn't mean that they don't talk about, you know, other things and other interests. They don't mean they don't like sports and things like that, but it's just not all that important to them. Because the thing that is really, really important to them is the kingdom of God. We live for it. This is why we live. We live to fulfill God's agenda in the earth. And one of the things you'll find out is as you begin to grow in the Lord, you're going to find that you're kingdom minded most of the time. should be almost all the time. But you're going to find out that there's an increased desire in the kingdom of God, the things of God. Kingdom-minded people and people that are spiritually mature are also people that are cheerful givers. Each one must do just as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. People that are spiritually mature, they love to give. You know, giving is not, you know, I often refer to giving. Sometimes I say here, you hear me say, well, sometimes, you know, we ask for the offering. You know, that it's almost like in, in some places, like going to a funeral. You know, look at people's faces, like somebody just died, and it should not be that way. I'm not saying that about you all. Uh, I'm just saying it from <laughs> from experience <laughs> and from seeing. But you know, you know, giving people that are mature and growing in the Lord, they love to give. I mean, giving giving their resources is that's minimal. I mean, that's easy. You want me to tithe? Like, sure, I tithe. You want me to give? Oh, I give this, but not just giving you money, but giving anything. People that are spiritually mature people, they just love to give. giving their time, their gifts, and their talents. Their life and their character is defined by giving. They don't mind giving. It's not a big issue to them because why? God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. Guess what, folks? When God gave to us, he gave his best. So people that are spiritually mature and that are growing, they understand, you know what? God has given me so much. And you heard Maria said during the offering time, she says, you know, we're really giving God back what belongs to him. But sometimes we just forget that, don't we? We, we try to hold on to it and, like, you know, I want to know, this is mine. Not really. <laughs> Not really. It all belongs to God. You know, at any time, God could take it away. Every blessing that we have, everything that we have comes from God. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, God owns everything that we possess. It all belongs to him. So it's like, I have an opportunity to give to God. Wow, that is awesome. And that's why it's like pulling teeth sometimes, but I say, come on, it's time for the offering. Let's clap our hands, get excited. Why do I do that? Because I'm trying to inspire you to understand and know the blessing of giving. People that grow up in the Lord, they love to give. They don't have a problem with giving. They don't sit back and complain, oh, I don't want to give. They just after my money. You know, I get so tired of hearing that. But, oh, they, you know, people make this, Oh, the past, they ask, they, all they want is my money. All nobody want is your money. They don't belong to you anyway. We're just trying to fund the kingdom. We're just trying to do God's work. How I many know it does take resources to do God's work? And it's not about somebody that's wanting somebody's money. It is about, you know what, I have an opportunity to give to the Lord and to his work. I'm going to give to it. I'm going to give it with all my heart. And I'm a cheerful giver. I get excited about the opportunity to share with my master that which he had given me. Spiritually mature people are people that quickly repent of sin. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. It's in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. Now we all have, are familiar with this passage of scripture. David was the king of Israel. God had anointed him. God had set him above all the nation of Israel. God had given David favor. But then David fell into a sin. David's, uh, you know, at the time when kings were supposed to be out there on the battlefield, David was hanging back and he was chilling and he ended up getting involved in an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. And so now David here in 2 Samuel chapter number 12, David now is being confronted with his sin with Bathsheba. Now keep in mind one of the things or characteristics of a person that is mature is that they quickly repent of their sin. Now, So Nathan now, he comes up, the prophet. He's going to confront David about his sin. Look at verse number 7. Nathan then said to David, You are the man, David. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Verse number 12. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin, and you shall not die. Now, David is one of the people that I absolutely love in the Bible because David was a man of faith. Now, David wasn't a perfect man. And I often marvel when, you know, reading in my early days of my faith when uh, the Bible would say that David was a man. And God would say this about David. God would say that David is a man after my own heart. And I used to be like, well, God called David a man after his own heart. I mean, look what David did. I mean, David took somebody else's wife. I mean, he had her husband killed on the front line. He abused his power. I mean, this man was committing adultery, but yeah, God, he's a man after your own heart. I mean, what are you talking about? I mean, obviously, he has some issues. You know what David, what God loved about David and what God loves about you and I and one of the marks of a person that is spiritually mature is that when they blow it, when they sin, and when somebody confronts them, you know what they say? I'm the man. I did it. They don't try to make excuses. You know, you read this passage, you don't see David sitting back. Because how many know that today, that nobody is to blame for anything today? You know, a guy goes out and he robs somebody, I, it ain't my fault, I, I'm hungry, you know. It ain't, it ain't my fault that some like, you know, I end up shooting that person, they just got me mad and I lost my temper. You know, you hear all these different things because nobody wants to accept responsibility for anything. But one of the things I loved about David is that David, when he was confronted, he didn't say, well, you know what? Bathsheba shouldn't have had no, she should have closed her window. He could have said, well, you know what? I was out here minding my business and, you know, she the one that she she should have been out doing something else and she shouldn't have been there. Then I wouldn't have done it. David didn't go into all that. You know what David said? David looked at Nathan. He said, I'm the man. I did it. One of the marks of a spiritually mature person is when you sin, when somebody brings something to your attention and the Holy Spirit convicts you and you know that what they're saying is right, you don't try to justify. You know what you say? You know what? You're right. I blew it. I'm sorry. And an immature person would try to cover up or try to give reasons as to why it happened. How many know the Bible says if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive and he cleanses of all unrighteousness. And so David wasn't a perfect man, but David knew how to, to, to repent of his sin. And he knew how to say, yes, I am the man. And then number nine, people that are spiritually mature are people that views service to God as an honor and not a burden. I read that one again. People that views service to God as an honor and not a burden. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than men. That's Colossians three, twenty three. And many of you have heard me refer to this when I was uh, uh, back serving in ministry many years ago. In the early days, and, and I was ordained as a deacon, and, and I don't know if you remember that, Kenny. And I used to, uh, uh, we had to go there, and we had, had a Christian school there, and I had to go there, and I had to clean it up. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, because I've always kind of felt this, you know, thing like I had a call in ministry. Like God, you know, like I just felt compelled to want to teach and preach, and I did that on a very, very small scale. And the pastor used to always say to me, you know, he, you know all the deacons, we had to come out there, and I used to come out there two and three times a week. I mean, I would work real, real hard at work, and then I would get off, and man, and I can remember all the days when I had to scrub those dirty and nasty toilets. And you know, how I many you know when kids sometimes, they don't always clean up behind themselves? Right, kids? Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to answer. And I can recall, and I can recall that, uh, uh, you know, sitting there cleaning those filthy and nasty toilets, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I don't belong here, man. Somebody else should be doing this. And then I'll look over around the corner and I see brother so-and-so just standing there, having a good time talking. (laughs) And I'm over here scrubbing this dirty, filthy toilet. And the whole time I'm thinking, man, this is not right. They should be over here helping me do this nasty work. They're the ones who messed it up. And then you then you look at them, they just say, and they'll look at you and they how you doing, brother, sister? You having a good day? See you later. I just, I'm just being honest with you. <laughs> because this is where we are, right? Because what happened is, and what God was showing me, there was a degree of immaturity in me. Because what I did not understand is, you know, Jesus said that the Son of Man came to serve and to give his life. Jesus did not try to exalt himself. You know how he exalted himself? By serving. By cleaning the dirty toilets. By going into places that nobody else wanted to go dealing with people that nobody else wanted to deal with so much so that the Pharisees would look at them and say, you know, Jesus, do you not understand? I mean, what kind of, do you know what kind of people they are? Why are in the world are you hanging with them? What are you doing, Jesus? I mean, what are you, have you lost your mind? These people are, they're sinners. And not only are they sinners, but they're poor. You know, these are the castaways. These are people that nobody likes. What are you doing hanging out and eating with these people? Jesus always confronted that attitude. Jesus said, "The greatest of you would be servants of all, and so one of the things we learn as we 're growing in the Lord is that a person that's growing they don 't get upset about serving whatever you need i 'll do it now, you know you do things for season. I, I will say to you, how many of you i don 't like necessarily come i 'm sure larry i don 't know i don 't think Larry loved coming here, breaking his back, lifting heavy speakers and I don't know if Kenny loved doing that. And I don't know if Maria loved setting out the table, you know. And some of us may be doing something that is just for a season. But one of the things that we learn is that whatever we do for God, we do it joyfully. We do it excitedly. Why? Because I'm a servant. A servant looks for opportunities to help in any way that they can. Any way that I can come out and help, I'll help. Because they understand that they're doing their service unto God and not Who? Not men, but I am serving God. And so then what happens is when I have an opportunity to serve, I delight in it. Because, Lord, this is my way of saying, God, I offer this unto you. You see, if you have that kind of an attitude, you won't get mad at other people when they just kind of walk around and they don't serve and they don't get involved. You know, and and it's not to say that other people that do that are wrong. They just maybe have a different focus. Sometimes it's just us. We just need to get over it. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. This is preach by itself. I know y'all. Hallelujah. But I'm just, This is a note, the nuts and bolts of where we are. Because I'm going to tell you that you're going to find yourself there. Because there are going to be times I'm going to come to you and ask you to do something, and I know you're not going to want to do it. I'm going to say, hey, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, I, I need your help. And you're going to have that opportunity. Well, that ain't my gift. <laughs> That's what a lot of people say. <laughs> But there's a lot of things that are not our gifts. But one of the ways that we're growing in the Lord is, you know what? Any way that I can help build the kingdom, I do it. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. And when you start growing in the Lord, you start looking at it. You say, man, you know what? God, you know what? I don't necessarily like doing this. But you know what, God? I'm going to offer this to you. And you know when you have that kind of attitude, you will find that your whole perspective will begin to shift. And God will begin to change it so that you would be like, wow. This is wonderful. I like doing this with God because we're serving the Lord. We're getting near the end. Um, Spiritually mature people, they control their tongues. You know, James talks about how, how the tongue has so much power and it's a world of fire. Spiritually mature people know how to encourage and build people up. One of the things that you learn about people that grow up in the Lord is, and, and I've been around people like this, and I like to think that I'm somewhat the same way, uh, growing in that area as well. I love to be around people that always have a good word to say about somebody. You know, it's, it's, you know spiritually mature people, they're not involved in gossip. They don't talk about people. They don't tear people down. They don't, people that are growing in God, you know, you meet a person that's really growing as a mature person. They don't, listen, they don't slam people. They don't tear people apart. They always have something positive to say about somebody. And they have learned how to control their tongue. You see, James one twenty six. now I'll turn there. James one twenty six. I want to read this passage of scripture. James one twenty six. listen to what this says. It says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious or mature or somebody that has it together and yet does not bridle or control his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphan and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. It's one of the things that we learn, and we understand. He says, listen, he says here that, that a person that thinks himself to be religious and cannot control his tongue, you're not really religious. He said, your religion is, is, is worthless because we haven't learned how to control our tongue. We haven't learned how to speak words of encouragement and edification. We don't just spit off anything. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs that only a foolish man will utter his whole heart. You ever know people like that that just kind of say, and I've heard people boast about that. Well, I just say what's on my mind. Well, that's foolish. (laughs) You don't want to know everything that's on my mind, (laughs) right? And I don't want to know everything that's on your mind. Can we be real again? We don't want to do that. That's the last thing we want to do because the Bible says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. All of us are struggling in certain areas and places, and that's why we can be patient with each other, right? Because we all know that we're trying to grow and we all got issues and we're trying to become better. You know, hopefully that's why you come here and hopefully I'm inspiring you to go beyond where you are. And that's good because you shouldn't want to sit where you are. You should want to go further. If we're not helping you to go further and grow and mature, then what's, what's what's the purpose? Are you with me? And so we don't just speak everything that's on your mind. But a person that is spiritually mature, they know how to speak a word in season. Which you know and I think about think about it this way the Bible talks about how that a little uh, how a rudder can, can controls the whole direction of a ship. do you know that you can say one word, a phrase or sentence you can speak out a turn, and you can you can you can you can alter the course of your destiny by something you say to somebody one word that's how powerful the tongue is you know I can go to my boss and my boss maybe had Maybe he had a certain plan for me. And I can go and say something to him that I shouldn't say. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, the whole thing is altered. That's the power of the tongue. So one of the things I learned about, and I've heard somebody, and I've never met this person, but I'll just use this analogy for the purposes of this message. But one of the things that I've heard from a number of people about T.D. Jakes, and I don't know what your feelings are about T.D. Jakes, but what I've heard from a lot of people, they say, well, you know what? He's just very, very humble. He just never, he don't talk a whole lot. He just, he listens a lot. Let every man be slow to speak, right? Quick to hear. There's a blessing in that. Spiritually mature people, they don't, they don't talk a whole lot. They don't just ramble, ramble, ramble. They think about what they're going to say, and they think about the repercussions and how the, if what they're going to say and how it's going to affect somebody else. So they take care to be very, very careful in how they communicate and when they use their tongue. Spiritually mature people are eager to share their faith, eager to share their faith. One of the ways you know you're growing is you get excited about sharing God. That every opportunity you have, you just love to talk about the goodness of God. Now, I know that some people say, well, you know what, I'm um, pastor. I'm, I'm a little shy. You know, I'm not that outspoken. Yeah, you know, and, and you know everybody have their personality, but let me tell you something. When you start growing in the Lord, you're gonna start figuring out a way to get the gospel message out. Because you realize that what God has saved you from and what God has delivered you from, you are going to share. The gospel, just like the woman at the well, you remember she had a confrontation with Jesus in John chapter four, and I'm not going to turn there for time's sake, but in John chapter number four, the woman at the well, she had an experience, experience with Jesus and she met him. And after her experiment with Jesus or her conversation with Jesus, she got so excited, she just went out and said, look, you got to come see this man who told me everything that I ever did in life. And she just went out and she just started talking. So people, one of the things you understand, you know that, you know what? When I'm growing in my faith, you know, you're going to start sharing your faith. There's no way you can say I'm mature and growing in the Lord and you don't share your faith with anybody. That's not the mark of a mature person. That's the mark of an immature person, a person that still needs to grow. Now, we're not condemning in this message. We all understand that. But what we're saying is we're talking about, you know, a barometer in which we can measure how that we are growing in the Lord. And lastly, spiritually mature people are peacemakers, not troublemakers. Spiritually mature people are peacemakers and not troublemakers. And Matthew chapter number 9, I'm sorry, Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Mature people always seek to resolve conflict. You ever met somebody that just loved to keep conflict going? You ever knew people like that? That they have absolutely no desire to want to reconcile. They just love to fight. And that's one of the things I hate my wife would tell you. My wife would tell you right off the bat, I just do not engage in a lot of fighting. And I don't do that. I just, I mean, I will just quickly remove myself from that. But there are some people that are like that. and They're spiritual, but they love a good fight. There are some people that just love to keep stuff going all the time. But the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. You know what you and I should be when we're at the job, when we're at work, when there's conflict then we should be people to come in. As Christians, we should be the ones that seek, that, that seek resolution. Uh, I had an opportunity this week, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, and I got a confession to make, okay? I wouldn't say that I got an A. I would probably say I got like a C plus or a B minus. But I had an opportunity. We had locked up the Asian guy that was uh, doing all these bank robberies, and we had arrested him. He had turned himself in. I was thanking the Lord for that because I was praying because that was absorbing all of my time, and I was just starting to, not like life. Um, but what happened was usually we worked these cases. Uh, our agency worked these cases with the FBI. Well, every now and then the FBI, because they're the FBI, they can decide that, you know what, even though you did all the work on the case and, and even though, you know, you, you know, did all the labor and all that, we're going to take this case because we're the federal government. And oftentimes they'll do that and then they'll end up getting the credit for it. So I'm sitting there, you know, I got this tip from, from the tip line. And I run, and I, I hook up with the guys, and we're all sitting at the table. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to lay out my plan, right? I'm going to lay out this plan about how we're going to catch this guy, because now we know who he is. We have a face, but now we have a name attached to it. So I'm sitting here at the table, and all of a sudden, this agent says said to me, he goes, um, okay, Gary, so, um, so uh, I don't know if anybody told you, but, uh, you know, we're going to, no, no, first he said to me, he goes, he goes, okay, Gary, here's what we're going to do. We're going get to get the surveillance plane up, and we're going to get our surveillance team. We're going to start staking them out, and we're going we're to prepare to do a search warrant. And, gonna, and Now, before, keep, mind you, I'm doing all the work on this, right? Now, he just comes up, and he's telling me now that a tip I just gave him 20 minutes ago, that he's going to come in now, he's going to take my case. So I'm just sitting there, you know, and I felt, you know, I felt like this low, because he's now just telling me he's going to take my case. So some of the other guys that were sitting there, that's my, my colleagues, they didn't take that lightly. And so he looks at me, this FBI agent, he says, didn't they not tell you that uh, you know, we were kind of like interested in this case? I was like, yeah. I say interested in taking it over are like two different things. Oh, well, they decided they're going to take the case and they're going to uh, prosecute the case and kind of remove us out of the picture. But you're welcome to come along if you like to. You can come with us if you like to. Now, mind you, I've been, doing, I've been working this case for over a year, doing all the work on trying to get this guy. This guy started robbing banks back in December of last year, of five. So now all the guys that work, right? That, now, I, I got to admit, I wasn't too happy about this. You know, My flesh was trying to, trying to do me in, but I was suppressing it. You know, I suppressed the thing, and uh, all the guys that work said, you know, Gary, you're just too nice. Because what they wanted from me was they wanted me to stand up and say, wait a minute, we, we're going we're gonna to fight. We ain't going to do this. And uh, so everybody was complaining and fussing about the FBI agents. And, and then the FBI agent ended up sending an email and apologizing to everybody. And so everybody at my, at my workplace, everybody's upset. Everybody's talking about the FBI. And everybody want to keep things going. And so this guy, he decided, this FBI agent realized, because he was a new guy that's working Robert, he realized that, you know what, I didn't handle that right. Because you know that's not the way we do things. So he sends an email, right? And he apologizes to the whole squad. He sends it to my boss, and he says, "Do me a favor, send this email out to your whole squad." So I look at the email. He's basically, "Hey, I'm a new guy, and we're new. We're trying to learn." And the FBI is talking about cutting our squad and all this, and and cutting our manpower. And we really need to kind of make some arrests to kind of give justification as to why we should have this unit. And so he was, he said, I apologize. Well, you know everybody else said? And everybody else was like, oh, nope, that's not good enough. You know, we need, you need to come, he need to come and look us in the face, and he need to do this, and he need to do that. And everybody was fussing. And I almost got caught up in that, and the Lord spoke to me and said, no, he a peacemaker. I said, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm a peacemaker, I'm a believer. And so I just began to talk to the guys. I said, look, guys, I said, you know what? maybe, just maybe, obviously they overreacted and the guy has, he's given an apology. Guess what, folks? Let's just leave it alone. Let's just, let's call it what it is. It's done. And then I begin to function in my role as a peacemaker. Some of you will have opportunities that work to be just like everybody else. See, as Christians, we're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to be going with the flow. We're supposed to be different. If people want to fight and argue, we're peacemakers. The Bible says, blessed are peacemakers. For these will be called the sons of God. We're people of peace. We don't try to stir up stuff. And one of the ways that we know we're growing is that we're people that make peace and we seek every opportunity, not only to make peace with ourselves, to make peace in our home, but also to make peace with those that we know in the community, because that is where the blessing is. Amen? Amen. In conclusion, I just wanted to... Just say a couple things as we wrap this up. Um, take Every now and then, just take a look at this message, whether it's by CD or if you wrote it down, and just check your spirit, just, just, just look at it and be honest with yourself, and just begin to ask the Lord you know, to speak to you about where you are as it relates to spiritual maturity and the things that we share today. Now, some of us will find that we're struggling in all of these areas, or most of them, or some of us will find that maybe one or two areas we can do a little bit better. But the whole point of it is, is that we want to give you a barometer, some, something, some objective tool that you can look at and say that I'm growing. It's almost like going to a doctor's office. You know, my kids, you know how they, I can remember all of them, they had these little uh, rulers on the wall, and every time you go in, they measure their height. And they'll say, you know what? You want to be a doctor, you know what I'm talking about. And they'll always say, they say, you know what? Uh, you've grown a couple of inches today, or since last time you was here. <laughs> Nobody grows two inches in a day. But, uh, but there, there's something there they can gauge it by to say, I'm growing. And that's what we're, dealing, that's what we're doing here. If you see, if you can look at this list and kind of realize, you know, I need, to, I need to grow in some of these areas here, then that's okay. Don't look at it and try to, you know, say, well, you know, you know, just deal with the reality of it. Amen? Amen. Every eye is closed and every head is bowed.